welcome. It's the, the Graveyard, Graveyard Girls. Girls. True Crime and Mysteries podcast. It is. I nearly forgot. Nearly forgot. It's nearly. okay, we're doing things a funny way round today for recording. We are. Uh, we're normally moaning that we're hungry, and today we've we've treated ourselves, we've been to pesto as well. I say we've treated ourselves, and it's how she treated me, because she's good like that. Um, and we've had pestos before we've recorded. Mm-hmm. I don't know as though we feel any better, because we now feel really podged. <laughs> I feel really bad. Yeah, so... Like my norm- chair keeps moving. <laughs> normally we're really hungry, and now we're like the opposite, we're like, going to explode. Mm-hmm. So um, this could be interesting. Shouldn't have had the ice cream. Yeah, was it a even bit though too I didn't, much? I didn't finish the ice cream. I couldn't finish it, but now I'm like, Ugh. yeah. We we always do this. We order so much, but you have to order so much at Pesto's. You do because well, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where we don't order enough. No, it's just I don't know. It's like, but I want that, but I also want that, and I don't want to miss out on another thing. Yeah, and then you're like, well, that's a sharing one, so yeah, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. I don't feel very well. <laughs> yeah, well, now we're sort of waddled back into the studio. Mm. So maybe it wasn't as wise a decision as we first thought. No. And also I've got Bega asleep on my lap now. Yeah. But she's been a bit of a wiggle bum. But yeah, it's like Compressing a nice... your stomach even more after all that food. Yeah. Well. And I've got like a nice hot water bottle, it feels like. <laughs> so I'm yeah, getting very sleepy. sleepy. Yes. But you need to concentrate, Natasha. No, I don't. You're the one telling me a story. It's fine. Okay. Well, for this one, I've got a good old-fashioned murder mystery for us. Oh. Because I've not done one of those for a little while. No, I don't remember the last one. I think one. it might have been before Christmas. I can't even remember. I don't know. I don't ask strike. me to think right now. <laughs> okay. Well, this one, um, they had a strong suspect, but the person was found not guilty. And to be honest, I don't think the person that was the person anyway. So it's remained officially unsolved. Oh. And this one does puzzle me because I genuinely don't know... I don't, I can't put forward a suspect. There's not like a napkin directly next to the body and they're like, oh no, that has nothing to no, do with it. No, not like some of the other ones. The hammer a mile away, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very puzzled by this one. So maybe you might have an idea by the time. Probably not. <laughs> get to the end of it. If you can make it out of your cheese coma. No. To uh, think of a suspect. Well, if not, we'll have to rely on the listeners to um, come up with a suspect for us. So... This is the Cannon Street murder from 1866. Okay. Cannon Street in London? Yes. Yes. Okay. So for this, obviously, we're going back to 1800s in London Mm. to a warehouse on Cannon Street. Okay. Yep. Now, in the early 1800s, two brothers, Samuel and Henry Bevington, grew up to build a leather factory in the Neckingham Mills in Bermondsey. By 1830, they'd employed just over 100 people. Yes. As part of the work, they gained skins from all around the world in order to tan and prepare them for further projects, wherever they were going off to. Mm -hmm. Or some of them just remained as, as presumed clothing, like a tannery. Yeah. So, the success of their business and high quality sheepskins and gloving leather meant that they were looking to expand their business. In 1856, the wealthy pair leased offices and a large warehouse right in the middle of London. This would bring the company to number two, Cannon Street West. Okay, so as part of this, clerks and warehouse men were mostly elderly or middle-aged, and as well as a number of rec- recruits that they bought over from the Bermondsey warehouse. Um, and a lot of these men were no longer able to physically fit or meet the working demands of the Bermondsey, so the tannery. So I think from what I can work out, even though this is like a warehouse situation, I think it's more offices. So 
the hard works done. I, I almost see this as a bit of a distribution centre. So I'm not sure if they were more than sending it out to okay. other places and this is perhaps used as a bit of store and I don't know if they would like done packaging and then sent yeah. it out. So it, it's still warehouse work, but it appears to me to be lighter work than other tanneries in the area. Yeah. Okay. So one of these workers would be a man by the name of Edwin Milson. He'd married back in 1853, and so his wife, Sarah Milson, had been taken on as a housekeeper for the company. Now, at first, I presume she worked for the Bevington brothers like in their own house. Yeah. However, from what I can work out, the couple occupied an attic room in the warehouse. So that's what makes you think is it's part offices, and then there's living above. Mm. Um, and obviously, it's part of the job. It meant they needed to stay there for all hours, because... A section of her um, Sarah's job involved locking the doors and guarding the warehouse premises overnight. It's a bit different for a woman to be mm, doing it. It is. But I'm presuming because her husband, obviously, I think because he would have worked a lot in the day, I, I think he's quite a respected employee and then they employed his wife as yeah. part of the, I don't know, full package and then they got Two the for one. quarters. <laughs> yeah. And then because they agreed to live there, it meant... They were there on the premises all the time. Yeah. So they could lock up in the evening after the other workers left. And it was, I suppose it is security by just having a couple mm. already in because they'd be able to hear banging about in the warehouse downstairs if someone did break in. Let me guess, is she going to be murdered? Quite possibly, Natasha. Okay. <laughs> okay. So by all accounts, Edwin was an ordinary man, but was not young in 1856. Mr. Bevington had allowed him to take his pension and lie to duties in his older age. Mm. Sarah Milson was quite a bit younger by being only 40 years old. So I couldn't find a precise age for Edwin, but I think he's like at least 20 years older than oh, her. Okay, yeah. Okay. So she was described as a good, as good looking for her age and she was said to be a quiet, reserved woman. Good looking for her age. For her age. Okay. You're 40 years old, yes. though then you're already quite haggard, mm. I think. So she'd settled well into her role within the factory with even the Bevington brothers complimenting her diligence and punctuality. So she was obviously well respected. Mm. Okay. So things don't seem that bad. But unfortunately, in 1859, Edwin passed away, and so Sarah was left a widow. Mm. Luckily for her, the Bevington brothers agreed to keep her on as a housekeeper. So then I was thinking, no, she's alone, like, in that place, all on her own at night. And I was like, it's not a very nice job. But she wasn't alone. It's okay, Natasha. Because the company had also employed a cook, Elizabeth Lowe's, who also lived on the premises. Now, the pair appeared to get on well, though it's worth noting um, from later accounts from Liz Elizabeth um, that she stated that she'd found Sarah to be more than a little odd and that despite the fact she was reasonably well paid, she was frequently borrowing small sums of money from Elizabeth. Okay. Okay. So... She's dead then. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So now we're going, I'm going to take you to the murder, okay. Natasha. Okay. So on the evening of April the 11th at 9pm... After Sarah had locked up and the pair retired to their attic rooms, there was a sudden knock at the door. <gasps> mm. As Elizabeth left her room to inspect, she saw that Sarah was already out in the corridor, so like a landing way. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth stated that Sarah had said, that's for me, I'll answer it. So she obviously returned to her room and remained um, in the upstairs attic area. Yeah. Um, she says she then sat in the dining area so I think there's two single rooms with a dining area sort of in the middle 
um, from the way that I can work that out. And she says that she remained there until 10.15pm. She was wanting to go to bed, but had not heard Sarah return back up the stairs. So she called her name, Hmm. but there was no answer. Okay. Obviously concerned, Elizabeth lit a candle and decided to descend down the staircase. Mm Mm-hmm. She finally reached the ground floor when she suddenly saw Sarah lying at the bottom of the steps. She took her hand and called her name, but Sarah was unresponsive. Elizabeth could see that Sarah's face was covered in blood, so Elizabeth panicked and ran for the door, which was locked. <gasps> mm-hmm. Okay. Ooh. Did she just fall down the stairs? I don't think so, Natasha. Okay. <laughs> and this is where things start to get very strange. Okay. Mm. Finally unlocking the three spring locks, mm. Elizabeth was startled to see a young woman standing in the doorway right in front of her. Okay. Okay. Recovering from the sudden shock, she presumed the woman had simply been sheltering in the doorway from the heavy rain. Yeah. Now, not entirely sure why, but Elizabeth asked the lady if she'd like to come inside. <laughs> okay. Mm. Now, this next bit, to which um, to which the woman replied to her, Oh dear, I can't come in. So You have a dead a... body in the way, yeah. I cannot. <laughs> so, I don't know if she noticed the body, but either way, she ran away in the night. To be fair, if you do see someone dead at the stairs and this, someone's like, Would you like to come tea? in? Uh, no, thank you, I don't want to be a part of this. Yes, so uh, she disappears in the night and will never, ever be identified. She was a ghost, that's why. Okay. <laughs> She's the one that pushed the other lady down the stairs. That's why she's dead. That's why she's outside. Okay, well, I'm floating back out the door. Yeah. Okay. Solved it for you. Ah, there we go. (laughs) Already, Natasha. Yeah. Okay. So, scared of not wanting to go back inside, Elizabeth waited in the doorway until she saw a police constable. She called out to the constable, who was actually on his way home from his shift at the police station on Bow Lane. Now... Constable Stevenson inspected the hallway and upon seeing the amount of blood on Sarah's face, he blew his whistle and the local officer appeared. Um... <laughs> oh, sorry. And the local beat officer appeared who then ran back to the station to get senior officers and a doctor. Mm. Okay. So finally, when they arrived, apparently panting, the constable <laughs> reappeared with an Inspector Shelford, Sergeant Hogg, and the local surgeon, Mr. W.C. May. Mm. So some good names. Some names there yes. is some good names in this, I Hogg. must admit. Yeah. The surgeon confirmed that Sarah was in fact dead, murdered with by repeated blows with a blunt instrument. Because she fell down the stairs. Okay. She hit every single step but on All her the way head here. Okay. So... Now, as the crime had taken place on Cannon Street, it was under the jurisdiction of city police. However, they were not used to working on complex murders. So it was passed on to Superintendent Forster, who was part of the Metropolitan Police. Now, despite the fact it's been passed on... Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the, pla- the crime had taken place on Cannon Street and it was under the jurisdiction of city police. However, they weren't used to working on complex murder cases. And so it was passed on to Superintendent Forster, who was part of the Metropolitan Police. Mm -hmm. Okay. Despite the fact it had been passed on, Inspector Shelford took on the role of informal leader in the investigation, assisted by Detective Sergeant John Moss. Okay. So I think part of it 
was because they were one of them attended the original scene it was like even though you're technically not investigating it will keep in touch with you because you were first on scene so i think it was most more suppose he was supposed to write a report and then pass it on but he kind of stayed involved as an informal leader is what they listed him as yeah So, obviously, the Metropolitan Police had far more trained detectives to use in murder cases, but the city police uh, were not in the habit of requesting help for them and often only relied upon their own resources. So I feel like there's a bit of a double investigation going on here. So the city police set about reconstructing Sarah Milson's last day. They concluded that it had been an ordinary day and nothing um, out of ordinary had happened at work. No person had called to see Sarah and nothing suspicious had been observed by any of the employees. Mm. At 7.50pm, the head warehouseman, Edward Kipps, had locked and bolted the rear entrance to the warehouse and given the keys to Sarah, along with the keys to the safe and the house. Now, these keys were apparently separate, so in two sets, but he handed both sets over to her. Okay. Um, I'm presuming it was in two separate sets for security reasons. Yeah. Um, just in case you lose one you still got yeah. the other yeah. so I presumed that that's what it was and mm-hmm. then it says he, um, he then left and went home Sarah had then locked the front door behind him and went upstairs to join Elizabeth in the dining room so as far as we were everyone is left and has all been locked out the rear entrance has been secured so it should only be Elizabeth and Sarah in the building okay okay now, at this point in time, there was no obvious motive and nothing had been stolen, so it appeared, and it appeared that Sarah had no enemies. So, it wasn't a robbery gone wrong. There's nothing missing. So, at this point, it's like, okay, we don't really know why she's ended up murdered the at the motive? bottom of the stairs. Yeah. So, the police weren't hanging about, though, luckily for her. They were keen to get on with the investigation. They quickly rounded up the usual suspects, including local burglars and violent criminals, but found nothing to incriminate any of them. Okay. Okay. House to house in the area was also done, but nothing significant came about from that either. A man by the name of Kelly Turner brought a confused letter to the Castle Street police station confessing to the murder, but he turned out to be mentally ill. So Mm, there was, it, it attracted quite a lot of attention straight away. There was also reports that a man in Liverpool had confessed to the murder, but this turned out to be not true at all, though this didn't stop people from making money by selling accounts of the appearance of the alleged person. Mm -hmm. So this is where the press are hot on this. And when I looked for the time and looked at the newspaper articles, there is a lot of newspaper articles. But most of it is completely irrelevant to the end case, because in the coming days, there's tons and tons. There's like several newspapers in London. It's not like just one or two. Yeah. There's a lot, and they're all reporting on this story, but they're all reporting different things, so it's very confusing. So kind of like our social media. It is a little bit. Yes. So, yes. So another letter from a man named Frederick Russell saying that his niece, who worked at the factory, had heard another girl say that she was not surprised that Sarah had been murdered since she had once given evidence against a man who had been transported. Now, I didn't know if that meant like an immigrant. Oh transported like to a police cell i don't know like they transport someone to jail i don't know but either way she would have i'm presuming she's had to go to court and give some Mm. evidence against this man Mm. um and that this man had returned to london just four days before the murder took place (gasps) but we couldn't find an i couldn't find anything else on this man and all of the sources i looked at make no mention 
of this man. Okay. okay? So it's just like, oh, I know who did it. This man, she's apparently Given put away. Yeah. Against. yeah. But I couldn't find any court... Because I was trying to look for other court things at the time to see if there was anything, and I just couldn't find anything. Yeah. So, obviously, like me, the police were hoping this would be a strong new lead, and Detective Sergeant Moss went directly to the factory, but both the girls denied ever having such a conversation. Mm. So, I don't know whether one sort of part made this up, maybe, when she went home, and then Frederick obviously wrote in saying that his niece had had a conversation, and maybe she hadn't. Either that, or they've been told to hush-hush. Ooh. Mm. Or he misheard and he was just like, oh, yeah, I know something. Yeah. Turns out it was completely different. I get the impression at this time, like, lots of people are writing in with things. And a lot of it turns out not to be true. Because when I looked at the thing, there was a good, like, 10, 15 different letters of people confessing. And most of them were people, like, from asylums. (laughs) So, um, yeah, not reliable at all. Uh, Okay. Okay. How do you even, like, write a letter to get out of an asylum? Some of them, a lot of the time... They escaped out of asylums. Oh, okay. They weren't secure like they are now. A lot of them, because you think as well, asylums, they weren't just in, it wasn't like the really deranged, there's just those with a just slight anyone. melancholy. Yeah. But they oh, were allowed me. to, you know, like go, because that was the time when they were changing it, where instead of keeping them locked up or in, they were mm. allowed to start doing like gardening and walking around. It's supposed to like make them oh, better. Yes, yes. So some of them were quite open, almost like an open prison, and they could almost sort of come and go. And I think that's when a lot of them were going to the police and uh, writing strange accounts and admitting to strange things. Mm. So the city police believed early on in the investigation that they had strong key witnesses, this being in a Miss Annabelle Robbins, who was a housekeeper at a neighbouring house at number one Cannon Street. She said she'd returned home at 10.15pm on the night of the murder and that she'd heard a violent slamming of a warehouse door and that a man quickly walked past. She felt she would be confident in identifying him should she see him again. Mm. The city police were happy with this and hoped it, hoped that it brought... and the hope that it brought and so they decided to keep the fact that they had a star witness out of the press. Mm. Makes sense, yeah. Okay. As part of the investigation, police looked through Sarah's belongings. Nothing significant or of interest was found, apart from a rather strange letter found in one of her boxes. Okay, so I have a a little letter for you now. I know you like a letter. I do. And it's not a love letter, I'm afraid. But it is a letter. And it reads, Mrs. Milson, I'm the bearer of this... Sorry, Mrs. Milson, the bearer of this I have sent to you from my advisor... I have taken this course as I have received so much annoyance from Mrs. Webber that I can put up with it no longer. He will propose terms to you which you may accept or not at your pleasure. Failing to your agreeing to this proposal, he is instructed by me to see Mr. Bevington or Mr. Harris and explain to them how the matter stands. You know yourself the reasons you put forth for borrowing the money, doctor's bills and for physicians for your husband, which you know was not so. I shall also have him bring your sister before Mr. Bevington if if necessity or obstinacy compels my advisor to go to the extreme. I'm yours obediently, George Terry. Ooh, who's George Terry? So it sounds like it's been written by someone official, like I'm an advisor on the behalf of. So on the back was written, received of Mrs. Milson, 1LW Denton for George Terry, 20 old change so i think part of that it's two separate names 
So I'm not sure if the L.W. Denton was writing on behalf of George Terry from 20 Old Change. I'm not sure if that's a place Mm. or if that was money. (laughs) I couldn't quite work it out. I understood it as money, but I have no idea. Okay. So in terms of things at the moment, they haven't really got much evidence. This kind of blows things open because it now would suggest that she was being blackmailed at the time of her death. Not necessarily blackmailed. She's owing money to someone and they're mm-hmm. asking for it back. Yeah. And they've technically the way it's written is it's like it's from a solicitor, mm. which would suggest something a bit more formal. So yes. why was she borrowing money and who mm. does she owe the money to? And Especially when could... she's like for your husband who's clearly been dead. Dead a while. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because at this point he died in 59 and this was 66. So mm. that was seven years ago. Mm. So... I'm not entirely sure what's happening, but obviously, could George be a suspect? Mm-hmm. Now, that's what the police were thinking, and so they went and searched for George Terry. It Sounds turn- like a made-up name. It's not. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It turns out he was a well-known petty criminal who'd been active as a solicitor uh. involved in, extort- in, in extortion and blackmail. Uh. So he was posing as a solicitor uh. and getting money out of people. Well, okay. I suppose if he's trying to make his business legit, this is the way to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I have record, you need to pay me back. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for a fee, any person owed money could consult this George to have him blackmail whoever he, they owed the money to. George has been committing this crime for many years, but his now drunken ways and increasing incompetence had led him to slip up. And what was once a good money-making scheme for him now saw him an inmate at St. Olave's workhouse. Mm. Okay. So as the workhouse doors were locked at night and the inmates were accounted for by account, it seems that George had a watertight alibi for the time of the murder. Okay. Okay. He, of course, was still taken in by the police and um, interviewed and had to answer some questions. So he then gave a statement to the police stating that he'd been employed as a solicitor by Mrs. Webber, who had lent Sarah Milson £33.15, and shillings, which is quite a substantial yeah. amount at the time. It's probably like a million pounds. <laughs> More probably over a couple of hundred, yeah. I think it works out. So... It was to be that Sarah would repay the money in weekly instalments of 10 shillings. And it appeared that Sarah had started to pay up until the £8 mark when she stopped. Mrs. Weber had then apparently had enough of waiting, so she sent George to go and fetch the rest. Mm. He claimed that he didn't go to um, go to visit her to get further payment um, by threatening her, but uh, especially not since he'd been placed in the workhouse. So since he'd then obviously ended up in the workhouse, he said he'd had to hire somebody else um, who continued to harass her for the payment on his behalf. Okay. Okay. George went on to state that he was, that when he was out drinking in a pub one day, he had a chance meeting with a strange looking fellow with inflamed eyes. Oh, I thought he was going to say eyebrows. No. Inflamed eyes. Sounds like the devil to me. that's what I'm thinking. He's probably trying to be like, oh yeah, it was the devil all along. But it gets better. I like his name. This man who George only knew is sore-eyed Bill. (laughs) Appropriate. It's very appropriate. Okay. Was apparently very impressed with his lies about how profitable the work as a solicitor had been and sore-eyed Bill then offered his services as as a partnered bailiff. Right. 
After becoming a professional criminal, Bill called himself Bill Denton. Mm. So that would be part of the LW Denton in the letter. Okay. But um, George said that he knew this wasn't his real name. However, he claims not to know his real name. The devil. Okay. Lucifer. So at first, it appeared Bill was very useful to George collecting money from Sarah and other victims from the moneylender, Mrs. Weber. Mm. It turns out she's a bit naughty. As I went on, I found out she's a bit naughty. She's not stealing money from people. She's lending money to people and then kind of getting them in trouble with others. So that I think she teams up with people like George mm. and he will obviously then try and get more money out of them, keep a bit for himself and give Mrs. Weber back at least what she'd lent to the other people. So it was kind of a money-making for George. But she set out about, oh, I can lend you some money. Maybe it's like there's an interest rate. He gets the interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's how it sort of works. Okay. But after George had found out that Sawright Bill had twice been to Cannon Street to collect money from Sarah, yet the money um, that Bill had took had then been kept for himself, there was an argument between Bill and George, and then they parted ways. Apparently so concerned that Sawride Bill was going to take more money, George regretted that he could not provide the police with Bill's full name. So he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't help you any further. Um, though he was able to provide them with a description, which is as follows. Okay. A tall, thin, meanly dressed cove with some strange eye disease, <laughs> ugly features and a wide slobbering mouth. So very distinctive. Yeah. You would hope... You might notice him. Yeah. Okay. Slobbery? Is he basically just like, oh, it's a dog? In I'm a just suit. thinking like drooling yeah. all the time. So, Ew. yeah, it's worth noting this for uh, later on his description because it might be vital in the court case. Oh, does this slobbery, slinky man come through a window, kill her, and then slobber his way back out? No. Okay. But this, um, well, I'll get onto it and you'll find okay. out. Okay. Detective Sergeant Moss dispatched this description to both city police, the Metropolitan and other forces in the area. Mm -hmm. And this would pay off because the very next day, Inspector Pierman of Eton Police informed him that a local named William, which Mm -hmm. was where the shortened bill would come from, Mm -hmm. so William Smith, had been in trouble several times for drunkenness and riotous behaviour. Will Smith. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The 25-year-old William Smith was notable for his ugly features and chronically inflamed <sighs> eyes. <laughs> okay? It's horrible that this person's like, oh, you're ugly. Yeah, and that's how they spot That's how I know you. can see you from a mile yeah, off, Yeah, right? you're ugly. <laughs> oh, you've got and some you've got weird eyes. eyes. I was also weirdly thinking of, like, Watership Down, you know, the rabbits. From... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it made me think. Okay. Got some like conjunctivitis or whatever it's called. Yeah. Well, I later find out he's blind, so I'm not sure if it's like a congenital eye disease. You know, like something keeps coming back. One eye is completely blind, and the other one he's partially sighted. Okay. So I'm not sure if his eyesight has been gradually getting worse. They're just picking on him. It's like, oh, he's fucking ugly, isn't he? Let's throw him away. Yeah, he still lives with his mum as well. Well, he's blind. Is this what? This is the 1800s. Yeah. It's a miracle he's still alive. I mean, yeah, he's doing quite well. Yeah. Okay. So this looked promising, and so without informing informing his superiors, the police detective Sergeant Moss and Sergeant Hancock left for a cab and travelled to Eton to liaise with Inspector Pierman. 
William Smith was known to laze about at his mother's house, number 6, Eaton Square. And as the three policemen snuck upon the house and peered through the window, they did indeed see Bill sat in his armchair, smoking his pipe. Okay? He didn't see them because he's blind. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, so Moss decided that Hong... Honkak? Honk. <laughs> oh, this pesto has ruined me, Natasha. You're doing surprising work. I'm not doing well. Okay. I'm just sat here, like, cuddling B. Okay. Trying to stay awake. So, Moss and Hancock <laughs> would... Uh, just, sorry, Moss decided that Hancock would stay outside and guard the house while he and Pierman knocked at the door and entered. So, I'm guessing this is just in case Bill tried to make a run for it. So, Bill's mum answered the door, and when she saw the two uniformed officers, she went storming into the room in which Bill was seated, oh, along with the officers. She knew... Yeah, she knew that he was in trouble. Obviously not phase. Bill remained seated with a grin on his face. <laughs> okay. When Pierman asked why Bill wasn't at work, his mother shouted, Puh, him, do any work. He's been a trial to me. <laughs> so oh, he's, he's a blind man. Yeah, so from what I did work out later, he does occasionally get work, but I also think he is quite lazy and also doesn't turn up a lot of the time. Maybe, but like... So she's a bit like, is a pain to me. Oh yeah, I get it, but he's he's also a blind man in the eighteen hundreds. It's a oh, miracle I'm sure he could have he's found still work. alive. He's still working with like no hands. <laughs> they lose their hands at their job. Yeah, it's very they still different. have to work. Yes, they still have to work, but they've like done that job beforehand. This is a blind man going into something he's never done before. One eye half works. It's Wee. fine. That's <laughs> not an excuse, Natasha. In those days, he's going to get stabbed in his good eye <laughs> on his first day at work. <laughs> okay. So Moss then asked, "Is your name William Smith?" Bill nodded and then Mod asked, uh, Mod? Moss then asked, when were you last in London? To which he replied, the 10th of January with my mother, which was obviously quite a few months before because the murder took place in April. Moss then pulled out a letter, the one, the very bizarre letter from Sarah's house and asked Bill if this was his handwriting. After looking at it, Bill replied, yes, it is. I now know what you mean. Ooh. I wrote a letter for a man. I took it to her for him. Moss then asked him, were you in London last week? To which Bill then said, let my mother answer you. Okay, so he's not saying yes or no, but it's looking a bit suspicious. It's like, have I been in your presence this entire time? She's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, mum's obviously not... Wait, it like stamps a thing during this time? Maybe the postman took it. Maybe. So it doesn't have to be in London. No, he doesn't. But he also didn't answer. Rather than just saying, no, I posted it, mm. he was like, let my mother answer. <laughs> That's because of what she said earlier. Has it been a trial to me? Yeah. So, uh, Mummy Smith obviously isn't mm. playing along because uh, she couldn't give a clear answer and she couldn't account for, account for Bill's movements. Oh, okay. So she wasn't giving him an alibi. So kind of good on her. Mm, yeah. Okay. Police searched the house and Moss found a coat and a pair of trousers and when he saw the coat there was a large red stain and he called out oh here it is all right here's plenty of blood mm. okay he then uh built her around and says it's not blood but they kind of weren't believing him so they took it all away paint <laughs> mm -hmm. so they then charged bill with the murder of sarah milson the, uh, he was then taken from Eton Police Station to Bow Lane Station 
Um, they arrived at 5.30pm and a large crowd of journalists were already waiting for them. Yeah. So this case, from what I can make out, attracted a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do have a question, but it's going to be at the end, so... Are you sure? Yep. Okay. The coroner's inquest then took place on the... started to take place on the 13th of April... The body was viewed by Dr. May, who testified that the cause of death was repeated heavy blows to the head from a blunt instrument, so mm-hmm. not from hitting the stairs. Okay. Steps could be blunt. I think it was... Yeah, I suppose, depending on what angle you mm-hmm. want. But I think they were going with she was struck over the head mm-hmm. rather than banging into things. Well, at least that's what they're going with. So, Detective Shelford speculated that that the woman in the doorway was simply a prostitute sheltering from the rain... Um, there was also a crowbar that was reported missing from the Bevington warehouse um, and so it was put forward that that was the murder weapon and that the murderer had taken it with them. Yeah, okay. So no murder weapon is ever identified or found, mm-hmm. okay? But I don't think that's too far-fetched. So then by the 18th of April, Bill was then brought in before Lord, the Lord Mayor and sentiments from the journalists, police and the public were very much against Bill. Okay. okay, so there's no one really fighting his corner, although he do does end up with uh, legal he help. He do. He do. <laughs> he do. He does end up with some legal help. He does get um, a defence okay. lawyer. Well, I think that's like his rights. Yeah, but a lot of the time they didn't because you still had to pay. And if you couldn't uh, pay, you didn't yes, get one. It's yes. not like now where you get one for free. Okay. Okay. So uh, Bill's uh, defence lawyer, Mr. Scarf, objected to many of the... Um, Detective Moss's statements, claiming that some of the clothing taken from Bill's mother's house actually belonged to Bill's brother. Mr. Scarf promised that he'd be able to prove that Bill hadn't been out of Eton on the day and the night of the murder, but the police weren't having any of it. Okay. okay? When they came to, to the identity parole, though the results were not disclosed to the public, a Times journalist received information that as the men had passed her by, Arabella had selected Bill without any doubt. So remember, she was the yeah. housekeeper that had said she'd give the description. And she was certain it was Bill. Okay. okay. Right, so on the 26th of April, Bill returned to trial to face further questioning. And Arabella was still testifying that Bill was the man that she'd saw on the night Sarah was murdered. Detectives Moss and Shelford gloatingly described their superior detective work and how they were able to track down both George and Bill. Okay? Yep. George was brought in as a witness against Bill. Okay. Obviously realising he could be in just as much trouble, he was very careful not to contradict the police's statements. Okay? I think you might be able to see what sort of line this could be going down. Mm Mm-hmm. However, the defence seemed to be holding their ground a bit better on this second, uh, the second time round. This time, they ripped into Arabella's evidence. How could she identify Will Smith with such certainty when her original description of the man she'd seen was so uh, plain and non-descriptive? Yeah, it's not ugly. It's not got some weird buggy Yeah, she didn't eyes. mention the scary eyes. Yeah. She just... And it's also, what, you said 10.45 at night? Uh, 10.15. 10.15, sorry. It's kind of dark. Mm-hmm. It's not really like... But also, someone like that, like, I don't imagine lights. he's getting around particularly well. No. She said he walked away quickly and, like, swiftly. Like, that to me is, like, quite a, I don't know, quite a good criminal. It doesn't sound like yeah. half-blind Bill <laughs> with scary eyes. I feel like he more lumbers everywhere. Yeah, he's got conjunctivitis, he's got frog mm. eyes, yeah. Okay. Mm. 
So she replied that she noticed him from his very thin legs, mm. right? Though he was walking more upright now than when she'd seen him um, on the night. Re- <laughs> Although by this point, Arabella was starting to get a bit muddled in okay. her words. She wasn't quite as clear. The defence asked her sternly if she still thought that William Smith was the man that she'd seen on the night. She stated that she still believed he was, much to the relief of the police, but she wasn't sounding very convincing. Okay. Okay? Now, next, they brought in Mrs Webber, who was the lady who Sarah apparently owed money to. Mm -hmm. Mrs Webber claimed not to know that George was using Bill to get the money until Sarah had come to see her about it, Mm -hmm. complaining. Mrs. Webber stated that she told Sarah not to pay any more money to such a person, but that Sarah had replied she might lose her bread if she did not. So like, I think for them, like, losing your bread was, like, your head. Yeah, brown bread, and, dead. Yeah. yeah. So Mrs. Webber's a bit like, I don't know anything about but you're gonna getting really die. bad. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I just used a solicitor to... Mm, I'm legitimate. Um, yeah, so she's... Oh, I think by this point, I don't know as though they would have been allowed to bring it into court... But I feel by this point she's probably already been in trouble herself for a few petty crimes. I don't think she's a, like a seriously hard cr- criminal. No. But um, I feel like she's not got a clean sheet. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, obviously, during the investigation, the wonderful Sergeant Moss had been very good at gaining witnesses um, to f- uh, account for Bill's movements on the day of the murder. So now this is witnesses brought in on be- for the prosecution, so mm-hmm. against Bill. So an Eton labourer, Henry Giles, had seen Bill in the Jolly Miller's pub at Eton on 7pm on either the 11th or the 12th. He couldn't recall exactly which day, the mm-hmm. 11th being the day she was mm-hmm. murdered. Okay. Bill was dressed in a black suit and wore a tall silk hat instead of his usual shabby headwear. Okay. Okay. Now, that already struck me, because think yep. back to the clothing that the police removed from the house. Mm. It was not a black suit. Or a silk hat. Mm. I think like a top hat. Yeah, but like, well, how can he afford a silk hat? Yeah, but also, that's not what the police removed yeah, from the it's house. Not. It's not. Mm. Okay. When he asked Bill if he wanted to join him for a game of dominoes, Bill replied no, as he was to travel 40 miles that evening. When he asked Bill where he was going, he said... Suppose I go London and back, that'd be 40 mile, won't it? Yeah. Okay? Henry said that he didn't believe him, and so at the time he thought no more of it. Uh-huh. Right? Then the next witness that was brought in was a labourer called Henry Blackman, and he stated that he'd seen Smith walking fast towards uh, Slough Station around 7.30pm on the 11th, dressed in his best clothes and wearing a high hat. A high okay. hat? So it's a bit like a top hat, I think. Okay, so they are... He's wearing the same stuff. Yeah, okay. Okay. Then a surveyor, John Whitehouse, made similar observations and said he'd seen Bill walk into Slough at 7.30 wearing dark clothes. Mm. So he could still be the dark suit Mm -hmm. and was about the same time as the other man still going towards Slough Station, okay? So then, and this seemed to... I think is what the police thought this will be Bill's nail in the coffin, was an off-duty police officer, William Clark, had seen Smith walking towards his mother's house at Eton at 11.45pm, dressed in a dark suit, wearing a light-coloured tall hat and a yellow walking stick. So this being on the way back from the murder. So they're supposing that he's gone all the way there, committed the murder and come back. However, I'm already questioning, why didn't he have the light-coloured top hat 
and the walking stick on the way where has he gained those yeah so already to me i think there's discrepancies in the yeah descriptions okay so he just got the memo of like he's wearing a hat and he's like oh mm -hmm. yes he was wearing a light colored hat oh and he had a walking stick yeah the walking stick was the murder weapon yes but also uh, arabella never made any mention of a man with a walking stick or him being dressed in a suit in a hat yes or a hat yes. and the clothes that they removed from the house was a, a coat and some trousers with blood staining on mm. Mm. okay so are we to believe that the descriptions in timons is of no. even though they're similar do we want to believe that he was able to get there and back on the train at a reasonable pace and then that he changed his hat and his cane is like a i don't know a change in description as his hat turns inside out no no. So <laughs> I don't believe it. So this then obviously helped Bill's defence. Mm -hmm. And the team argued that he didn't look like a cool calculating murder, murderer sorry, and that he couldn't have um, heavily beaten a woman in the head with a blunt instrument and then made his escape with great ease. Bill was blind in one eye and struggled to see out the other. <laughs> okay, and I kind of agree with them. Yeah. I do think he is more of a lumbering yeah. person. Walks into a lot of things because mm -hmm. he can't see... How's he going to hit someone and murder them? Yeah, with accuracy yeah. and make a swift exit. I just, yeah. I can't see no. it myself. Okay. So things got worse for the police when Detective Moss was then called upon. He read from his book, which he stated he'd um, made notes in at the time of the arrest. Yes, isn't that against the law? I don't know as though okay. it was then. He was saying he needed to read from it just so that he didn't... He, he was, can remember yeah. what he wrote, but if, yeah. like, you wrote it, you should remember. So that it was an accurate account, so he mm. wasn't saying anything false, is where he went with it, okay? Mm. Okay. The defence pushed him on the bloodstains that he claimed he found on Bill's trousers. If the suit was what he was actually wearing, then they had the wrong trousers, <laughs> which is true, Okay. Also, at the time of the arrest, if you remember, Bill had said that the red staining was something called coggle, which is actually a type of glue, okay? Mm. After it was sent away from analysis, um, obviously police didn't believe him at the time, it turns out that it was, in fact, the glue, okay? Mm -hmm. So not only did they have the red clothing, but the red stain was not blood. I did tell you it was paint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So it got even worse when Arabella was brought back in and was found that she didn't actually pick Bill out from the first lineup done by police, but the second one, in which the main investigating officer, who she'd now already recognised, was stood next to Bill. Okay? So I feel like maybe a bit of pressure was put upon her to pick the man in between the police officers she now recognised. Well, they do do that, don't they? They like They put, like, purposefully, like, this one looks like... Mm -hmm. more like the person or they start to like style them so it looks like yeah yeah so that's what they've done so it was only then that she picked out bill so um just as well as the police had done in finding lots of witnesses the defense lawyer has also done a very good job and he's managed to find a lot of witnesses okay oh, good so this is moving on to ones that will support the defense mm-hmm so John Harris, a hatter in Eton, who frequently employed Bill for small odd jobs, stated that Bill was working for him on the day of the murder and that he'd left between 6.30 and 7.15pm. John Harris had also met Constable William Clark, who was the one that was for the prosecution, mm -hmm. um, and John had stated that Clark had told him that he'd saw Bill at 7.15pm that evening, not, uh, sorry, 11.15pm that evening, not... 11.45. Okay. 
So that means now the policeman's lied. Yeah. Okay, or possibly lied. Henry Harris, the son to John, also worked at the Hatters and had finished at 7.15 along with Bill Mm -hmm. and later that evening had gone out to meet Bill in Eaton Square around 8.15. So that means he couldn't have been getting the train to Slough at uh, 7.30. They'd gone to Wheeler's Beer Shop where they'd played cards um, for pints until Henry left at 10 past 10 in the evening, leaving Bill there. Mm. So the murders obviously supposedly happened at 10.15 or around about that time. There's not got enough time to go mm-hmm. there and murder her, no. Okay. Then next there was a couple of men brought in. So photographer Henry Coston, a gardener Henry George, uh, Holderness and a printer John Matthews and a carpenter George Dodner had also seen Bill in Wheeler's beer bar. Okay. They testified that he'd arrived there sometime after eight, which would corroborate what Henry Harris had said. Mm -hmm. And then George Dodner stated that him and Bill uh, were the last to leave at around 11pm, okay? Which means if he was then walking home, it would be more likely that William Clark saw him at 11.15, not 11.45, like he'd given, like he told them for the police. Yeah. Okay? So... Then it was said that Bill had then gone to another pub where Baker Frederick Stone had seen him at around 11.15. He left uh, Frederick around midnight. The landlady to the pub, Mrs Goddard, also confirmed this. And then Bill's sister Jane had said that she'd remembered him turning, uh, returning home just after midnight, very intoxicated. So if also, if he's very intoxicated, how did he manage to make a swift mm. exit... From the crime scene. Maybe he's one of those drunks who's, like, really good at, like, walking straight and being very, like, aware. But then she wouldn't have noticed him... No, he's not. ...intoxicated, like, it wouldn't have been a problem. So, okay. So then two further witnesses, a paper hanger, William uh, Baths, and a labourer, George Swain, swore that they'd been in the Jolly Miller the evening of the murder and that neither Bill or the prosecution's witness, Henry Giles, had been in that night. So if you remember, Henry Giles was the one who was like, I saw him on the 11th or the 12th. Mm. Um, but those other labourers had been in there every night and they said on neither of those occasions did Bill or okay. Henry come in. So that meant Henry was lying. Mm. Okay. The defence urged the jury to find him not guilty um, and that the charge of murder would be a terrible mistake. The jury found him not guilty, which was a relief, and Baron Bromwell addressed the jury, saying that he was of the opinion that the prisoner was more than not guilty. In fact, he was innocent. So oh. even the Baron was like, yeah, I'm not convicting this man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the following days, London papers heavily criticised the city police, stating that whilst Moss and Shelford were good at collecting drunks, thieves and robbers, they were entirely out of their depth investigating a complex case. Mm, Which I tend to agree with. They probably should have left it to the Metropolitan Police. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Bill was free by the 15th of June, although it is worth noting over the next few years he spends a lot of time in prison uh, for drunken disorderly behaviour. I can imagine that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then that brings us to the next question of who did it? Now my question. Okay. The woman cook she lived with. I don't see how she would have done it or what she would have gained from it. She just murdered her. She was sick of living with her, so she bashed her over the head with a frying pan. But then how did she get rid of the murder weapon? She just washed it. What, before the police got there? All this thing that's going on with her is like her timeline. What do you mean? Well, she's the one who was like, oh, yeah, Sarah, there was like a knock at the door. Sarah went down to it. Mm. 
she was murdered at this time i found her i opened the door there was someone there do you want to come in no <laughs> we can't ever find this woman ever again although to be fair if she was genuinely a prostitute yeah, she's not really never, gonna come forward no. no i'm just so you think she was a false woman the woman in the doorway i don't know i don't know i'm just because the door's locked uh-huh. so who on else is on the inside her hmm could be i don't know what her motive would be though no neither do i or someone stayed behind when the person locked up gave sarah the key yeah because that's the one thing i was trying to work out is like can they get to the warehouse from the house or is it kind of like a house on you know some of the warehouses mm. like there's a bit of a house to the side of it mm. and then the warehouse is attached i didn't know or if just there was a single floor. door yeah, yeah or whether there's just housing sort of in the upper part of the warehouse or it's like yeah it's kind of attached but the only way to get to it is from like stairs from that go outside but mm-hmm. is only attached from like yes yeah, so the second like a level way or yeah. something i don't know you don't know i don't think it's i don't think it was george i don't think oh well obviously it could have been him he was in the asylum but i also don't think he's sophisticated enough he's into like getting a bit of mm. quick money it mm. doesn't strike me as a murderer no. i also don't think it was mrs weber because even no. though she's lending money to people, I think she she's a petty criminal. Yeah. So I think to then suddenly turn murderer seems a bit extreme. So yeah. I don't think it was actually anything to do with any of those that no, she borrowed just, money from. It just comes out because she's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is the only last bit that does get a little bit interesting, though I'm not entirely sure how this person would get involved. Mm. So after doing a little bit of digging, I did find out that Sarah was actually married to a man called James Swan in early 1840, mm. okay? Reports suggested he was somewhat a somewhat unbalanced man, so mentally ill, mm-hmm. who had deserted her and left for America or Australia. They didn't know which one it was. It's only a slight difference. A bit different. Well, okay. if it's Australia, he's probably going there because he's a convict, Possibly. If you go but in they're Australia. They're suggesting he but... just deserted her and left yeah. her behind, okay? okay? Yeah. Um, nothing was heard from him, so Sarah had gone on to marry Edwin, okay? However. Is that um, no. Yeah. It makes her a bigger mess. Yeah. Okay? James was still alive, yeah. okay? And came back uh, some years later. So mm. some people were supposing that he actually came back about the time of her murder. She would obviously be a bigger mess, and he was blackmailing her that way, like. I'm going to uncover you. You could lose your job, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Even though, obviously, she was technically widowed, sorry, by this other man. She was widowed. Yeah. (laughs) So could he have returned, blackmailed her, and then murdered her on the night? And because no one knows of him, Mm. they wouldn't have known to look for him. And obviously, as an unbalanced, deserted man, he'd probably hide quite well. Yeah. So he's the only other possibility. Hmm. But I couldn't find any evidence to support him living in the area or being in the area at the time. So I don't know how he would go about it. Mm. And he never confessed to such a thing. We just know he's alive later on from other records Mm. that he's dotted about the UK. So he wasn't dead. But obviously that would throw open her being a bigamist. Yeah. um, Which obviously was not allowed. Well, it's still not allowed, but um, you could get in a hell of a lot of trouble there. I think it did carry a prison sentence. Mm. So, um, yeah, he could be the only other one I could think of. I'm still not sold on it being the cook. No, oh, no, it's not. I was just trying to think, like, who's on the inside. 
But then I don't have any idea. I don't know whether it is something to do with money. I don't think it was the ones in that particular no. money ring. I don't think it's Weber or no. uh, George Terry. And it definitely wasn't Bill. I don't and think it's... he's sophisticated enough. And it's a bit weird that, like, if it was her first husband that she's still technically married to, what's the point of blackmailing her after the death of the other one? So what? You can't... To get money out of her. Yeah, but, but like, he doesn't know that she hasn't got any money at the time. He'll yeah. see her with a what should be a well-paid job. Yeah. Um, and obviously she can't actually afford to pay him because she owes other people money. True, but it's also Or like, was that what she was originally borrowing the money for? To pay him off? Her other husband's not around anymore, so mm-hmm. like, I don't get what's the point of blackmail. Because if he suddenly reappeared, everyone would be like, yeah. what do you mean you had another husband? Because as far as I can work out, those in London, those that she's living with now and those in the warehouse didn't know about the first husband. Mm. They thought Swan was her maiden name because when I looked at records, Swan was listed as her maiden name. Well, yeah. it wouldn't have been her maiden name. It would no. have been her married name. Unless she got married in her family. Uh, no, it was something... I, did, I can't remember if they're laughing now. I did look... It was, some, it was something completely different. Okay. It's not a um, cousin then. No, so she looked a bit... She'd kind of not changed the records, but it almost looked like two different people. But when you look at the dates, mm, it would have worked her. out as it was her. I don't know then. I just, it's very confusing. I just don't know who it would be. If I was married to someone and they left, deserted me, so I just, just maybe assumed they were dead, so I got married to someone else. They died and then they came back to blackmail me. I'd be like, he's dead. You can't blackmail me. Yeah. He's dead. Unless it was just such a fear that he was yeah. going to blow it wide open and reveal everything and i'd be like well you fucked off and what am i supposed to do yeah but you don't know how good he was at telling mm, true lies he could have i don't know there wasn't any what was going on at the time but he might i said like he had to maybe for work had to travel away she's got married mm. whilst he's been away. it depends how convincing yeah, he is. yeah true he i suppose he could have still ruined a lot of things like would she have lost a job because effectively the bevington brothers only gave her kept her on because she was a widow mm. well if she's got a husband that can support her mm. they're giving her residence for free yeah, true. And a wage. Yeah. And given her all of her husband's, well, dead, deceased husband's perks, mm. they'll have been given her that money. Yeah, I see. Which does also make me question why did she need to borrow money if yeah. the wage was reasonable? I don't know. If so she had could no it... bills, technically. Yeah, she didn't have any bills. And Elizabeth has stated that the wages they were given was reasonable and more, more than enough to survive off. Mm. So... Was there something else that she was involved in? Had she either got herself... It was either gambling and she got herself in a bit of debt or she was being blackmailed by someone else Mm. um, and she just couldn't keep up with the payment so she kept borrowing money. Mm. Or is it something else entirely? Well, this is why it's unsolved. It is, very (laughs) clearly. So um, I don't think we're going to be able to find a suitable suspect. There was just no one jumping out. You know, normally I can go, oh, I think it's this person. There's no one in this that I think is a plausible suspect that we know of it could have been like someone that you've not even mentioned because because mm-hmm. it's not often it is normally something within the family like most mm. murders but mm. is this just one of those frequent ones where it was a random attack might have been. was it it might not even been for anything it might yeah. have been i don't know maybe someone had come to rob her then they've bashed her over there and thought oh shit she's dead they've panicked and mm. left without robbing anything yeah or they heard or they heard yeah, yeah. elizabeth shouting and they thought shit when he's go. although i don't know how they've got out mm. unless the three spring locks like sprung back as i've shut the door mm. i don't know strange um, but that was a bit that put me off because it's like it's locked from the inside mm. but i don't know if, the police obviously said they didn't find anything else gone from the property but they didn't mention anything about the windows or other doors so would it be possible that someone could have climbed out of a window possibly because i think back then it's just the normal little wooden panes it's not mm. 
A warehouse window, yeah. Yeah. I don't so know. So I don't think it would have been massively secure. No. Um, but yeah, obviously the police made a big boo-boo in that one, which is probably why it's remained unsolved. It's usually the case. Because um, to be fair, there might have been some striking evidence in there and <laughs> they completely missed it. Oh, that's glue? No, it's blood. That's blood. That's clearly blood. Look how red it is. But yeah, it's so like I said, Bill, I think he was just a petty yeah. criminal. He clearly didn't commit that It's just crime. unfortunate that he has a appearance that makes him stand out. Yeah. And I think it would have been easy to put him away. They would have been like, oh, it's just another petty criminal. Because I should imagine he was probably in and out of the police station all the time. So they were like, well, if we can stitch him for a murder... Here he is again. Well, if obviously if they can stitch him for a murder, they can kill him. So <laughs> Yeah, they're like, oh, we don't have to deal with yeah, him Yeah, one less to yeah. have to pick up every week. Because mm. I do think they probably did that quite a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Especially if they're like really horrible to look at. They're like, oh, yeah, it's just... Like, so right, we'll, yeah. we can manage without that one. <laughs> it's not really contributing to society. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe the listeners could let us know. Yeah. Um, if they have a suspect and who they think it is. Oh, and it's worth noting for this that I got this stuff um, from a book called uh, Rivals of the Ripper. But more importantly, I mentioned, I got it from a podcast called The Unseen Podcast. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned them in one of our shout-out Saturdays the other week. Oh, so, yes, I remember, yes. Yeah. So if you want to go and check them out, because the sources for this, it was really scarce. Like, I'd... I typed it into Google, like I'd, I'd heard a reference to it, found a newspaper clip in. Um, but when you typed it in, there was like nothing on it and everyone had taken just a snippet from this book called yep. Rivals of the Ripper. And I was trying to get the whole thing. So I was like, I've got to look. And then, yeah, there was lots of newspaper articles, but it was all the ones on like the day after she was discovered. And they were also vastly different. And I was like, this is one of those cases where I can't use the newspaper articles to piece it together because yep. it's far too... Um, I don't know, there's too many discrepancies in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just had to use a book. But this book's very good, so I might get some future cases from it. So, um, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this murder mystery. I've not done one for a while. No, not. And I quite like these old-fashioned Victorian ones. So there'll be more to come. Good. Okay, so uh, I think that's as done for today. It is. Uh, In the meantime... Keep creeping. And we'll keep digging.